there's a lot of debate these days around the topic of masks. Nope, nope, I'm not talking about COVID masks. Don't click away. I'm talking about the proverbial masks that a lot of us put on, where maybe we are putting on this mask that says that we are, we think we're perfect, or our life hasn't been hard, or maybe we're hiding things in our past. Those masks can be so dangerous, but when we begin to remove those masks and we uncover these deep layers of truth within us, that's when we really come alive. Welcome to Business with Purpose. I'm your host, Molly Stillman of stillbeingmolly.com. And this show is all about bringing you the stories behind the brands, companies, and small businesses that are changing the world. Each week, I interview an entrepreneur, CEO, nonprofit director, community leader, or just an incredible person who is trying to make a positive impact, not only through their personal life, but also with their career. My goal is to show you that no matter what you do for a living, you can make an impact wherever you are. My guest this week is Ashley Abercrombie, who is a writer and speaker and author of the book, Rise of the Truth Teller. Own your story, tell it like it is, and live with holy gumption. She is also the co-host of the hilarious and helpful podcast, Why Though, and can be found basically wherever there is a coffee or a cheese board. Y'all know I don't drink coffee, but I'm on board with the cheese board. (laughs) She uh, lives in Los Angeles with her husband and two sons. I had the absolute best conversation with Ashley. She is my people. You know what I mean? When you just meet somebody and you're like, you're my people. Ashley is my people. Uh, But real quick, before we get to this incredible conversation with Ashley that you are going to love, like we get into some deep, deep topics. I want to just thank our partners of the show because truly, 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 these partners are helping to make this show possible. And the first is GoX. At GoX, they believe in the power of a purchase. They use a simple t-shirt to connect their customers with their apparel makers. GoX customers sustain fair wage jobs that liberate workers from poverty and empower them and their families and communities. They are proud to be a verified member of the Fair Trade Federation, and you can shop their sustainable, eco-friendly t-shirts and sweatshirts with purpose today at goexapparel.com. That's G-O-E-X apparel.com. And our other sponsor of the show is The Lemonade Boutique, a women's clothing with a cause store featuring ethically made and fair trade items from over 10 countries. And every item is made by women facing extreme challenges such as trafficking, poverty, and more. Your purchase empowers women to take life's lemons and make lemonade. You can shop them at thelemonadeboutique.com. And guess what? Listeners of the Business with Purpose podcast can save 15% by using code PURPOSE15 at checkout. Without further ado, on to my incredible conversation with Ashley Abercrombie. Ashley, it has been a long time coming, my new friend. How are you? I'm doing okay. I'm so happy to be on this show with you. And yes, it has been a very long time coming. I'm so happy. (laughs) We have just, well, we were originally scheduled to record like right when the quarantine started and it was just, life has thrown us for a loop And Mm -hmm. so when we first connected, I don't think we could have predicted that we would be where we are right now. I mean, there was no way. No one saw a global pandemic coming. You know, I did not expect to be locked in my house with my little kids, five and three. 
all day, every day. I didn't expect to be a homeschool mom. What is that about? What is that? (laughs) My goodness. And by the the way, (laughs) you know, and by the time that this actually airs, like we're talking to ourselves in the future, like who knows even what is going to be the next thing. My husband said something the other day where I was just like, I want to be like, stop talking, stop talking. He was like, he was like, do you realize that like, we may not even have experienced yet the craziest thing to happen this year? And I was like, stop it. Seriously. so true though. Did you hear the murder hornets are coming out last, yes. last month? Yes. And I was like, this 2020, anything could happen. This what is, is the murder hornets? Year. Murder, I don't even want to know. Like, murder hornets. Away. Yeah. Stay a friend of us. my friend, uh, Brandy <laughs> Riley tweeted a couple weeks ago, or maybe it was like last week. She was like, there's a tiger on the loose in my neighborhood. And <laughs> She was like, go home 2020. You are officially drunk. Like we get it. You're weird. What? Like she lives, like she lives in California, like outside oh, of, great. I, well, maybe did she move? I think, she, I mean, I know she lived like outside of Oakland, but oh it's like God. a tiger on the loose in her neighborhood. She was like, yeah, I don't. It's just, it's unacceptable. What is happening 2020? It's unacceptable. I'm ready for it to be done. And I apologize yeah. to 2019, which I also wanted to end. So I know. I apologize. Come back. It was better. It was coming. <laughs> yeah. We were so young and naive then. We- Yes. With I less look, gray hair. I look back on myself in 2019 and I go, oh, she was so young. Yeah. And she so the naive. whole world, the whole world ahead of her, whole yes. world at her fingertips. She had no idea what she had. There's right. a, I don't know if anybody's an, a, a fan of The Office, but one of my yes. favorite lines, uh, if you're an Office fan, you'll know what I'm talking about is uh, Andy Bernard. And he says, I wish there was a way you could know you were living in the good old days when you're actually in the good old days. I'm like, yes. yes. Perfectly. Wouldn't we all complain a lot less. <laughs> Just perfect. Um, well, okay. That was a fantastic way to start this episode. I love it. Uh, so Ashley, um, I want you to do what all my guests do and that's give us the Ashley Abercrombie 101. Tell us who you are, yes. what you do and how you got to where you are today. I love it. So I was born and raised in the South in North Carolina. So that's where I'm from. Whoop, and then North when Carolina. I was, exactly, wait, wait, where? Come on and raise up, you know, like Speedy Pablo. <laughs> yeah, Speedy Pablo. <laughs> Take your shirt off. Uh-huh. Um, we're in North Carolina. <laughs> so I was born like about 20 minutes south of the Danville, Virginia border okay. in a little town called Eden. Yeah. And then, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So that's my hometown. And oh my loved goodness. It. it was great. Such a beautiful place to grow up. And then when I was 21, I was looking to escape my life, which we can mm-hmm. get into later. And so I moved 3,000 miles across the country to Los Angeles. Yeah. And that's where I met my husband and we had our first baby there. And then we spent the last four years living in Manhattan where we had our second baby. And now we're back on the West Coast um, because we really do love it. It's home to us. We miss the weather. We miss our community. So it's so nice to be back. And I am an author and a speaker and a podcaster as well. And I really love it. I love my life and I love what I get to do. It's hard some days. I don't mean to say that like it's easy or something. No, it's, yeah. it's awful some days, but <laughs> I love the life I'm building. And so that's, oh, that's, that's awesome. That's awesome. I'm in spite think, of 2020, by the way. I know, in spite of 2020. <laughs> it's fine. It's fine. Um, Randa, I'm trying to think, Eden, is that close to Mayadan? Correct. That's where all my family is. What are you That's talking hilarious. about? How do you know this? Okay, maybe what? we're like uh, I mean, related. So, maybe, so my um, <laughs> husband's mom, so my mother-in-law's family yes. is from Mayadan. Like no deep roots there, deep, deep oh, roots same. there. The Knights and the Dodsons. I mean, like born and raised for generations. Okay, I'm gonna have to look in into this because maybe we're like distantly related by marriage, yes. and that would be really awesome. We probably are. I mean, okay. I think everyone in that town is related. To I'm be really just, honest. G- I, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, I, 
that might be really cool. So, um, okay. I'm going to look this up. Uh, folks, if you guys are really invested in this, like I am, I will be sure to update if I find out that we are distantly related by marriage, um, or something, you know what I mean? Um, okay. Fantastic. So you obviously you grew up in a, I mean, and that is a small town, like Mayadan, Mayadan is tiny, 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 thousand people, tiny. Yeah. It's real tiny, real, real Uh tiny. So, uh, but that's a beautiful area. So obviously that is uh, quite vastly different from both LA and uh, Manhattan. Um, so I'm curious around, you know, and obviously I want to go ahead and, you know, I will promote this for you. So you're, yeah. I mean, you have a chart topping <laughs> podcast called why though, yeah. um, you have, um, a best-selling book rise of the truth teller. Um, and you do, you do so much. How, like, where did this start? Where did you mm. get into writing and, and podcasting? You know, was this something that you'd always had a passion about? What led you to that? Yeah. Thanks for asking that question. I have this theory that we kind of all are returning to who we used to be. (laughs) As children, you kind of have these through lines in your life where you recognize like, oh, this matters. This is exactly who I am. And I'm thriving in this moment. Like I think about, for me, I've been writing since I was a little girl. It's been something I've always wanted to do. And it was a 20 year journey of that being my side hustle until I was able to um, get my first two book deal and, um, Mm. and write my first book, Rise of the Truth Teller. So again, that was 20 years of it being done at lunch times and early in the morning and late at night and all these random hours because I just love to write. So I've just done it because I've loved it. I know you're a writer as well. So yeah. it's just such a beautiful way to express and get stuff out. And for me, as a child, it was a great way to process pain. And the other through line I had as a child is I just loved serving the neighborhood, serving the community, and have always been very active in the neighborhood and in the community. And so it was from a young age that I began to notice these threads of justice and these threads of community and peace and shalom that I really wanted to pursue with my Mm, life. mm. And so I think in my early twenties got distracted from all that because of addiction to drugs and alcohol and, you know, eating disorders and just went through a lot to sexual assault, went through an abortion. I mean, I've just gone through hell, especially in those early years of my twenties. And I think I was able, as I began to process my pain and walk out this journey of recovery to really understand, oh my gosh, what my voice is that I have Mm. one. And then began to return to this idea of like, I'd love to write full time. I'd love to speak full time. I believe that I have a voice and that it's important that I use it. And I believe that about every person, no matter our sphere of influence, I believe that God has created us so uniquely to speak and that we live in this very wild world that is looking for hope (laughs) and looking for grace and looking for more nuance than our news narratives and social media narratives allow us to have. Yes. And so for me, that's, that's how my passions developed over a very long period of time and recovery and walking in real friendship with people, having a fundamental understanding of what it means to be in reciprocity, because that was part of my mask and my hiding and my addiction is realizing yeah. like, I didn't know how to let people in and I didn't know how to say I have needs too. And I just thought I could always be the fixer or the advisor yeah. or the people you know, the, the one people came to the strong one. And if anybody out there is listening, you know, that that falls apart (laughs) at some point you realize Mm. like, I I'm not strong all the time and I don't have what it takes to serve all these people without being served myself. And so I had to go on a real journey of taking off my mask and getting real and stop pretending and performing and learn how to be in real relationship with people. Mm. And you know, we can be loved even though we're broken. <laughs> we can be loved even though we're not perfect. And for me, it took a long time for me to fundamentally understand that, that it was yeah. true, that it was really true. 
Man. Yeah. There's a lot there that, um, that you could unpack. And, and I think that it's one, I really appreciate your, um, I mean, there's a whole, I mean, you wrote a book called rise of the truth teller is just your, your ability to own your story and the messy parts of it. And, and especially being a strong believer, somebody who, um, you know, follows Christ and, and so, often in the Christian world, in the Christian sphere, we can act like we need to show up with everything clean and tidy (laughs) and that we can't have messy parts of our story and all that kind of stuff, which is obviously a lie from uh, the pit of hell. And, um, and, you know, I'm so curious, did you grow up in church or how does your faith kind of come into play here? Yeah. So it's interesting. My mom was, um, a hardcore, um, like she worked as a nurse on third shift at nighttime. She also had a job working in neighborhoods, like doing clinicals. And she taught at our high school once a week. They're like nursing class. So she was always working two to three jobs. My dad was managing like a factory in our hometown. Like, you know, he was a mill worker. And so they were um, wonderful humans, but had no time and no margin. So on Saturday nights, what would happen is they sent me and my brother to go stay with my dad's parents. And they lived in Mayadan, where we were just Madison, where we were just talking about. (laughs) And they'd make little pallets on the floor for us. And the next morning, my great, great aunt Ferry, who lived across the street, would take me to church. My brother didn't have very much interest in going. And frankly, Mm. I see why. (laughs) But I went with her every single Sunday morning and we would cut flowers from her yard to make flowers for the altar. And then we would open up the library for the pastor and for the people who were coming in to check out books and read and just have a peaceful place to Mm. stay. And you know, our little church, it was tiny. It was like 65 on a good day, you know, but it was a beautiful little faith space. And so I think for me, church was a respite and um, a place where I could just be quiet and be still and kind of get out of the noise of school and, you know, hustle and bustle and working parents. And, you know, they were doing the best they could, of course, but it was just like, we were all trying to figure it out. And, And so church was a safe place for me. And when I was about 16 years old, I decided to walk away from the faith community because I was a teenager and they really only had quilting, you know, with my sweet um, older women, you know, and they didn't have very much for teenagers. And so I was struggling to relate. I also was like six foot one by the time I was 15. So like I was suddenly a woman and not a little girl. And yeah. I think people struggled to relate to me and who I was and who I was becoming. And, you know, I wore pants to church that was kind of frowned upon. <laughs> so just like all these little things where you're like, I'm 16, I'm wearing pants. I don't care. I'm leaving. And then I came back to the church when I was 21, when I was living in Los Angeles at, at one of my most broken moments, some Christians just like really left me and hmm. didn't judge me and would come out and party with me at nighttime. I would be doing drugs and drinking and they'd like drink Diet Coke and drive me home. I mean, they were the kindest humans I had ever met. And they actually didn't even invite me to church. I asked them, like, can I go with you to church? I've never met Christians who are not judgmental and calling Mm. me names and being rude to me. Like, I'd love to come visit your church. And I loved it. I was super weirded out by the worship and people lifting up their hands because we were in like a, (laughs) you know, it was disrespectful and irreverent to clap in my church growing up. So, you know, I had a lot of adjustments to make and sort of, you know, skin to shed as as I'm still doing. I'm still unlearning some of the things that are cultural and not biblical. Mm. But overall, you know, even though I've been hurt in the church, because if you're human, you have, Mm -hmm. and the church is not perfect because it's got imperfect people in it. But overall, I really do love that gathering and the corporate worship and being together. You know, pandemic has been very hard for me because Mm -hmm. I'm like, gosh, I haven't worshiped with humans outside of my home in months. And it it really does something for me, does something for my recovery, does something for my spirit and my connection to overall humanity. So Mm -hmm. I think 
for me, the church in some ways has been a deep wound, but it's also been a lifeline. You know, yeah. I've needed that connection with people. Absolutely. Absolutely. No, I, I, I love that your honesty in, in that the ebbs and flows of your relationship with the church. Um, yeah. I don't think people talk about that enough. Um, mm. I mean, I didn't grow up uh, really a believer. I would attend church with friends sometimes. My parents were raised Irish Catholic and, mm. um, you know, I didn't become a believer really till I was in my mid twenties. Um, but I, I wow. had wrestled with faith earlier than that, but just to me there for a long time, there was a disconnect between what I saw Mm -hmm. and what people were telling me. And I right. didn't see the connection between the two. And so I felt like Christians were inauthentic, that it was, mm -hmm. um, that it was just a bunch of show, but I truly, truly, like if you had asked me when I was 16 and, uh, or I guess I was, when I was like 14 or 15 when I was the co-lead singer of a Christian worship band called Doubting ah! Thomas. Doubting Thomas, if you were in uh, Northern, if y'all were in Northern Virginia in the uh, mid '90s and you attended some youth group events, you guys you were there. Remember Doubting Thomas? <laughs> um, it was uh, it was really a matter of I can sing, and they needed a singer, so they asked me. But I didn't know what I was singing about. And if you had asked mm. me, like at the time, like if you had asked me what is the gospel, I would have no idea what you were talking mm, about. I would have wow. been like, oh, gospel music, like that's what I would have thought. Um, yes. so I didn't, I didn't come to a full understanding of that till I was in my mid twenties. So I think that that's a really important conversation to have and an, an, an important distinction because so yeah. many people, that is their story where maybe they grew up in the church, they walked away from the church and then they're an adult and all of a sudden they can make their own decisions. And yes. so they wrestle with this, like, okay, should, do I go to church? Do I not? What's my relationship with God? Like, do I believe in God? Do I not? And then there's, you know, a, a certain kind of, uh, sect within the, in the, within the church, capital C, I guess, uh, church body sure. that, that thinks like, oh, you can't wrestle. You can't ask those questions. And it's like, no, so no, no, true. like we can absolutely be constantly wrestling with God. Mm -hmm. um, God is unchanged, but like we Come can on. continue to, to wrestle with him and ask hard questions. And um, sometimes we're going to get an answer and sometimes we're not. Right. Um, and that's okay. So I think that that's one, that's a really important point. But the other thing that I think I'd love for you to just kind of unpack a little bit is how you have, have really owned the deep, dark parts of your story that Christians are typically terrified to have conversations about. Yes. Okay. Um, and uh, surrounding addiction, mm -hmm. rape, yeah. and abortion. Yes. yes. Um, and how there are a lot of things that are associated with those three things that there are people in the church who could, who would today say, mm -hmm. well, you can't be a Christian because you've done those things in the past. And we know that that is again, a lie. Mm -hmm. Um, but I think that that's something that isn't talked about enough because there is so much shame associated with those things, mm -hmm. um, in conversations and, and people who are listening, who have maybe struggled with one of those things or experienced one of those things might say, well, I'm not welcome in the church because of right. X, Y, and Z. Yeah. Um, can you unpack that a little bit and like what that journey has been like for you, especially yes. in the context of your faith? Yes, I would love to. So I think that, you know, the silence of shame 
oh my gosh, it just became so unbearable for me. It was like, I, I mean, I was sinking so hard. I was going further and deeper into my addiction. I was becoming more and more isolated from people because I was so afraid to just be honest about my struggles and to just share with people that I was really like, that I couldn't beat this thing on my own. Mm-hmm. And I think that that silence just started to feel like it was going to choke me. And I really started asking this question that I've had. It's been like a through line since my early twenties, but I would just say, where are you God? And the first Mm. time I asked God, this was just in the middle of like absolute hell. I just drove around. I used to smoke cigarettes. So I grabbed a pack of Newports. I drove around the city of Raleigh, North Carolina, and just ended up in a parking lot and it started dumping buckets of rain. And it just felt like my soul, you know, it Mm. felt like the weather was responding to me. Like I was just dying inside and it felt like this river that just wouldn't stop. And I knew I was close to kind of breaking through that dam of shame to be able to open my mouth and speak. And I just started shouting at God. I was like, where are you? Where are you? Where are you? And as I did that, I just felt flooded with the Holy Spirit's love for me. Mm. And it, it was that hammer that cracked the dam. And I felt this just warmth running through my body. And I felt just this overwhelming sense that I was loved. And I had never really experienced that before because I thought, as, as you alluded to earlier, that I needed to clean myself up before I could mm. be loved and that mm. I really needed to get it right before God could love me. And I needed to present myself like I was in image management, you know, just managing my image all the time and not really understanding how rich and beautiful and meaningful integrity is. Mm. And so in that moment, I felt God really just like break that through. And it was a minute before I began to actually share with other humans, but I allowed myself the freedom to say, I am completely out of control. Mm -hmm. My life is totally unmanageable and God, I need help. And so it was the first time I admitted to myself what God already knew, but I also admitted it to him that I couldn't do it. I couldn't hold it together. Like I I am not the glue of the universe and God, Mm -hmm. I need help. And so it was a really beautiful moment of breakthrough for me. And I think that's when I began to really take the mask off. And I, I started to really stop caring what people thought about me. And I just began to let it ride. It's like, you know, these, I'm not doing well in school. I don't care if you know that. You know, I'm not doing well in my relationships. I don't care if you know that because I was so hurt and so wounded and wanted to find a way forward. And I think I really love the recovery community because recovery, you know, whether you do AA or celebrate recovery or whatever things, you know, um, might be right for you in this recovery journey. But gosh, I really love that community because they lead with stories. Like one of the Mm -hmm. first things you do in a meeting is you hear somebody stand up and read their story. Mm -hmm. And there is this rich connection in us going, me too, I've been through that. Or, oh Mm -hmm. my gosh, I'm not the only one. Or, wow, I experienced that as a child. And that is the thing that is actually affecting me as an adult. And I had no idea the connections. And so I think leading with story, which I do in my book, because I really believe in this method. I'm not doing it to like, you know, tell everybody all the the deep, dark secrets in my life. And I'm doing it because that's how I was taught in recovery. We lead with story because Mm. it's connective and it teaches us that we're not perfect. And it reminds me, you know, as a person that I don't have to wear a mask all the time and that I don't need to perform for you. Like you either like me or you don't. (laughs) I don't need to pretend I'm something that I'm not because I want to live my life with integrity. And I have come to a place where I, I value so much more integrity over image, you know? And I think that that's been the real journey for me. So that's how I've reconciled it with my faith. And the other part of that is I actually started to read the Bible Mm -hmm. (laughs) instead of like, just, you know, listening to the sermons. And I was like, what? The Bible? Are you kidding me? I don't want any of these lives. I don't want a single life in this Bible. Like what? I want to be a teenager and get dragged to a harem and have to like have all these treatments for a year and maybe hope this guy will pick me like Esther. 
Or do I want to be like all these, you know, wives of one of these men in the Old Testament? Do I want Leah's life? Do I want Rachel's life? Are you kidding? Do I want Deborah's life? Like, do I want any of these lives? And when my answer was just no, I realized, gosh, God, in the church, I've been fed this victory narrative. You know, this like Moses rescued the people, Esther saved the people, you know, Jesus did this, the apostle Paul did this. When I really took time to examine their lives, Mm -hmm. I really realized the pain, the sorrow, the context of economics and social climates that they were living in, the political state Mm. of unrest that they were living in. And I really began to identify and I began to allow myself to be imperfect because that is all I saw in the scripture is Mm. imperfect. Perfection. Yes. Yes. <laughs> oh, and that's yes. it. And it's so diverse yes. and rich. You know, the Bible is so diverse. It's so rich. It makes room for people. It makes room for people of all colors, all shapes, all sizes, all backgrounds. And I just began to cultivate a life that yes. did that too. You know, because that's oh. what I want. That is my community. Those are my people. <laughs> hey, freaking men. <laughs> yes. And I, that is, that is so. Oh yes. I just want to shout that from the rooftops. It's so (laughs) good because you're right. I mean, there's so much poor theology out there. Uh That is this perfection narrative, this prosperity Mm -hmm. gospel, this, if you follow Jesus, everything is going to be great. Um, I had uh, a guy by the name of Daniel Grothy actually on the show uh, a few weeks ago. If y'all want to go back and listen to it, it was episode 205. I mean, he's a pastor at uh, New Life Church in Colorado Springs. And I remember Mm -hmm. he said something that just, this really resonates with what you were saying, where he was Mm -hmm. talking about how like we've developed this poor theology of suffering and pain and how so many Christians believe that Jesus came to hang on a cross so we don't have to carry one. Come on. Right? When he yeah, said that, I facts. was like, dang, facts. Like, <laughs> yes. And he's just like, it is not, if you can go through person after person after person in the Bible. Yep. I mean, when I did, a, I, I'm in a BSF Bible Study Fellowship and yes. uh, last, last year, 20, like 2018, 2019, we did, um, a study on people of the promised land, Mm. uh, part one. And so it was like from Joshua through Solomon. And, you know, I had read the Bible cover to cover two and a half times. Now I'm halfway through a little over halfway through my, um, my third time, but it had never, until I really dove into the story, especially of David, Yeah, that brother was jacked up. 100%. Jacked. (laughs) Uh, yeah. And yeah. yet <laughs> the way God used him, Solomon, yeah. one of the wisest men, the most wealthy man to have ever lived was jacked. Up. Like, I call him the greediest man who ever lived. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. He had 700 wives and concubines. I mean, yeah. It's, every time uh-huh. I read that, I'm always like, how did he keep track? Like, how did he know? Like, it is, it's baffling. It's truly baffling. And, you know, and then like, to your point, we think about Moses and like Moses never Mm. got to actually go into the promised land. We have Noah, like basically the last story of Noah is like drunk and passed out naked in a tent. Like, I mean, yes, they don't teach that in Sunday school. No, they Uh, don't. Or the the big church for that matter. Right. He's passed out. Like, uh, there's a pastor a few years ago who uh, told that story where he was like, "Bet y'all didn't know that Noah's uh, naked, drunk, passed out in a tent with a lampshade on his head, singing Brad Paisley songs, do you?" Like, 
which that just cracked me up because I was like, yeah, that's basically that's what was great. going on. That's like the, the, the biblical con- context is a uh, current context of that story. Um, but yeah, he's got a lampshade on. He said he's singing Brad Bailey's songs. Um, it's, it's funny. I don't know. I thought it was funny. It is. And we all um, know that guy. So I'm sorry. True. I'm sorry if it's irreverent. Um, it's, just, it's just facts. But yeah, you know, and, and that's the thing that I think we need to have more honest conversations about is like, yeah. is how God used these amazing people, these flawed people, these very yes. sinful, dark people who made a yes. ton of massive mistakes. And yet the way that they have been a foundation um, of our faith and, and how God yeah. used them to further his plans. And yes. he used really, really imperfect people. And so I think that that is how honestly you talk about that is the dark parts of our story. And the more that we own those dark parts of our story and, and we don't try to cover them up, we don't try Correct. to put a nice bow on them mm-hmm. or anything like that. I think that can be really healing for yes. people who have parts of their story that they might feel shame over. Um, yes. I know that I still have parts of my story that I look back over the last you know, 10 to 15 years. And there are, I will be fully honest. Like I have come a long way, um, but there are still parts of my story where the little shame guy starts to just peek back up and and I hear, start to hear those little voices that go, but if you hadn't have done this, if you hadn't have made that decision, if you hadn't made that mistake, if you hadn't have said that thing, if you hadn't have spent that money, if you hadn't have blah, 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 blah. And it just starts to creep in. Yeah. And man, that is so tough for people. It is. You know, one of the things a mentor taught me as a practice for things like that, because I had a lot of trouble in the very beginning, figuring out what's my voice, what's God's voice. What's just like, this came out of nowhere and feels like the meanest thing that's ever been said to me. Mm -hmm. And I think trying to identify those things. And um, my mentor said, the next time you have a thought like that, why don't you picture someone that you love so dearly, like picture them and then say that to them. And it was like, I would never say that to them. Are you crazy? And she was like, exactly. So why would you say that to yourself? No one that loves you would ever say that. And Mm. it's so beautiful to think about that, to put yourself, put someone you love in that place so that you can be reminded that this isn't truth and that, that God doesn't need to lead us with shame and God doesn't need to lead us with guilt. And he's not constantly accusing us with our past. And it doesn't mean that we may not have to reconcile some of those things or deal with the consequences or the context. Like I'm certainly, certainly not saying that if you do this one practice, it'll make all the things go away. That's not what happens, right? But at the same time, you can identify this is not God. And this is not how I want to speak to myself. And this is not how I would speak to anyone that I love dearly. And that's been helpful for me over the years, because I agree, it can creep back in. And, you know, this world just wants us always to just crawl back in a box and stay there. You know, Whether mm. you're at your job, there, there's a place and there's a role. And if you step outside that a little bit, if you get a little honest, if you speak up in a meeting, if you redirect something that needs to be redirected, you know, it's you're polarized or ostracized or told to get back in line. And I think this is especially true for women. You know, we have been taught and we've been raised, you know, that we speak a certain way, that we act a certain way, that we do a certain thing so that we can fit in, so that we can be accepted, so that we can, you know, play this role to have this thing or do whatever. And I think that there's, there's a cultural journey that we're also undoing, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think the reality of integrity is really beautiful because it's like, no, this is who I am. And I'm deeply committed to being who I am. Doesn't mean I'm not going to hear wisdom. Doesn't mean I don't want to change. It doesn't yeah. mean I'm perfect, but it's just like, I'm, I'm going to be myself here. 
And if it mm. costs me something, I'm cool with that because I'm keeping Oof. my integrity. <laughs> cool. If it costs me something, I'm going to show up with integrity. Yes. Um, and that's been a really important part of my story too. Okay. I'm taking a quick break from my conversation with Ashley to thank a couple more of the show's partners. First is Simple Switch. Now, this is not a new company to the show because I actually had their incredible founder, Rachel Coyce, on the show back in the spring. So Simple Switch is a company that helps you more conveniently purchase with purpose. Simple Switch is an online marketplace for ethical and impactful shopping. So they let you shop online for more than 3,000 products ranging from everyday essentials like toilet paper and hand sanitizer, we need that right now, to special gifts like journals or jewelry. Every product has a positive environmental or social impact like planting trees or fighting human trafficking. Simple Switch is offering a discount exclusively for Business with Purpose podcast listeners. So you can check out the marketplace on simpleswitch.com org and get 20% off your first order with code purchase with purpose at checkout. After two years of global impact, Simple Switch is raising money to grow the company and make ethical shopping their new normal, our new normal. You can learn more about this campaign at igg.me forward slash simple dash switch. That's igg.me forward slash simple dash switch. Also, did you know that I have an ethical brand directory on my blog? That is actually what Chelsea used to start finding products for her boutique almost four years ago. Now Amazuma carries over 50 intentionally sourced brands and is the perfect one-stop shop for all of your gift giving needs. And as a thank you to the Still Being Molly and Business with Purpose podcast community, she is offering 20% off with code SHOPWITHMOLLY for the month of August. So head on over to shopwithmolly.com for all the details. All right, now back to my conversation with Ashley. You know, I want to highlight something that you said that I think is also important is, is we can make mistakes and we can be forgiven from those mistakes. We can, um, find healing and freedom, so much freedom in repentance and forgiveness and owning our stuff Yes, and also realizing that there may be consequences we don't want to have to face even (laughs) when we are forgiven and we have repented. that there will be consequences sometimes for our actions. And I think about like in the story of David, when um, for those that maybe aren't Bible scholars, there's the story of David when he kills uh, the husband of Bathsheba, Uriah, and he takes Bathsheba as his wife. He has an affair, um, which I don't know, I could use much harsher words for what I actually feel like he did. Um, 100%. Yes. uh, It's not like she could say no. No, 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 no. He did not have a choice. Um, she, she did not have a choice. Right. Um, and a child is born. And sadly, one of the consequences of that was the, the child dies. And there's so much pain there. Um, yes. and, and this is after, you know, it shows how David is repenting and he is fasting and he is praying yeah. and he's crying out to God and he has repented. He's been forgiven and God tells him he's forgiven, right, right. but he says, you're still going to have to face the consequences of yes. what you did. And so I think yes. that that's an important, it's a, it's an ugly part of it. It's not a part we want to talk yeah. about because it's not fun. Right. It doesn't feel good. Totally. Um, 
but consequences are a part of life. And um, I mean, yeah. it's like with, if you're a parent, I, I talk to my kids about this all the time. And I, you know, especially with like my six, almost seven year old, well, I like got, by the time this airs, she'll be seven. Um, oh. You know, my seven year old, uh, she, you know, we talk a lot about sometimes you're going to make mistakes, honey. And, and there are going to be consequences. We love you. You are not a mistake. You mm. are not bad. There's Gosh, a difference between your actions and something that you have said or done or yeah. versus who you are as a person. We love you. Yeah. We, we, we cherish you, but there's consequences for your actions. Um, right. we, have to, we have to have those conversations. And so I think that that's, that's a hard hard, hard lesson for a lot of people. It is. Yes. And I think we spend, again, back to image management, we spend so much time trying to manage all of that and pretend that we're perfect Mm -hmm. and not deal with consequences and not face what needs to be faced. So we won't have the difficult conversation in a a relationship with the person that we love, or we don't show up at work as ourselves and do what needs to be done and say what needs to be said, because we're just afraid of that. But I think that, like you said, it's life. Life is Mm -hmm. falling down and getting back up and trying again and asking God for help reaching out to others, like that's actually what makes life rich and meaningful. You know, when you, when you put it on every day, it's like, that's not a meaningful life. But if I'm messing up and I'm trying again and I'm changing and I'm growing, like this feels right. That feels like God, it feels connected. It feels real and honest. And I think that's a really important place for us to be in. And when we do that, when we're brave enough to do that, we make room for others to do that. And that's mm. something I'm so passionate about. When you meet a free person, you feel free to speak. Yes. <laughs> you know? you think about all the injustices that are happening in the world. When you see a brave person stand up against injustice, you know, it makes you feel brave. It makes you feel like, oh, there's a normal person doing the right thing. I'm going to be a normal person doing the right thing instead of pretending like this thing doesn't exist. And I just think mm. we, our courage gives others courage. Our vulnerability allows space for vulnerability for others. Our love for humanity cultivates diversity, cultivates equity, cultivates opportunities for people to be together. And I think that's really what we're here for. Like we're mm. supposed to be the beloved community. You know, we're supposed to value people as made in the image of God. Yes. And, and because we do that, it, it creates community on the earth as God designed it to. And so we oh. don't have to fall into these narratives. You know, we can drop some of that crap we learned growing up. <laughs> yes. Let it go. You know, let, let it, it go. go. Let it go. <laughs> Drink some prune juice and let that, you know what, go. That's what I always say. Drink some prune juice. Let that, you know what, go. Oh my go. God, I love you so much. I don't, I don't curse. I don't, I try not to curse anymore. I, I will be, I will own that part of my stories. I used to curse like a sailor. Um, oh, and same. I don't, I don't, I don't really anymore. Unless I like stub my toe, but sometimes, yeah. sometimes there are necessary. just times when it is, just comes out. And you're like, <laughs> out, of the, right. out of the abundance of the heart, the heart, the mouth is speaking. Um, so, I, but yeah, but that, that's one of my phrases is you got to drink that prune juice and let that ish go. Um, I love that so much. <laughs> it's true. It's true. It is. Um, well, that leads me actually to to something else I wanted to talk to you about is is your your passion and your work in the area of uh, of social justice, uh, mm-hmm. anti human trafficking initiatives, uh, a lot of initiatives um, against mass incarceration. Yeah. Um, you have you know you served the city of Los Angeles for seven years. You know, winning commendations from the LAPD, the LA Mayor's Office. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, you you've done a lot in that area. And there's a, there's a huge intersection, um, between faith and justice. Yes. In the climate that we are living in, how do we best show up for that? Mm -hmm. When it feels for a lot of people in the last few months, a lot of people, this is maybe the first time they're waking up to that. Right. Yes. And I mean, we just had 
you know, George Floyd's death. And I have had many of my friends of color ask me, you know, Ashley, what is it about the white community right now? Like, why are they showing up at marches and posting on social media? Like, what why is now? going on? And they're, they're not being rude about it. Like, it's a very genuine question. Like, what is it about George Floyd that didn't happen with Eric Garner? What is it about George Floyd that did not happen with Sandra Bland and Freddie Gray and yes. Trayvon Martin? Like, why this one? And I think it was just, you know, several of my white friends have said to me, you know, um, it's because it was such an obvious murder, like, period. Like, you can't, you can't wrap that up somehow. You can't say, let's wait till all the details come out. Like, it was just so painfully obvious. And also being in a pandemic, I think people are in less of their echo chambers, except for their digital ones, which are significant. Mm. But they're, they were in less of our echo chambers. You're not with your same crews, talking the same talk, um, forming those belief pathways in your brain every single day. And so I think people have an opportunity to maybe think more critically and reflect a bit more than they normally mm. would. And I think that's been very powerful for us um, yeah. in this global pandemic that's been hard, but that's a positive thing. So I think what we have to really think about is that justice is just not a trend. It's like the very yes. heart of God. And justice and righteousness are always right. <laughs> mm-hmm. Justice and righteousness are present together in scripture. And part of our modern day problem is that we have identified righteousness as this individual personal salvation. And we have interpreted that as me being perfect. Like I'm supposed to be like the spotless lamb of God. It's like, no, there's only one. You don't actually have to fulfill that role. He already did that. You're not supposed to be that. The blood of Jesus Mm. makes us that. And so I think we've interpreted it as this individual thing, but righteousness is actually about our communal experience, our connection with one another, our connection with creation, with the, with those God has designed and brought into this world. Like that is about righteousness and it's synonymous in scripture with justice. And Walter Brueggemann is one of my favorite Old Testament scholars. I just love this dude. And he says one of the fundamental problems in modern day Christianity is that we have divorced our love of God from love of neighbor. Mm. And in scripture, they go hand in hand. Yes. And there is never an opportunity where you can hate your neighbor and love God. <laughs> you know, Can't be done. You know, first, can't be done. And First John 4 tells us that, um, that you cannot say you love God and, and go on hating your brother or your sister. And so I think this, this roadmap for justice for me is really about cultivating covenant community. And I've always had a, a very diverse um, experience, thank goodness, growing up. But I didn't really understand like the disparities within our system. I didn't realize that your zip code could determine whether or not you have a, a grocery store. I didn't realize that your zip code could determine the type of education you get or the type of mm-hmm. healthcare you get. I mm-hmm. didn't know about redlining. I didn't know about just how deep injustice goes in our systems. Yes. And I think as I began to really learn and study and and again, back to story, really listen to people in my life who would share their stories, their racist encounters, their sexist encounters. You know, women are assaulted at unbelievable rates yes. in college. You know, one, every one in four women has been sexually assaulted and those are only reported cases. I only know one other woman besides me who, who has reported and only have two women in my life who have not been sexually assaulted. Like just to give you an idea of how wrong those numbers probably are, And so I think when we really look at all this stuff, it's like, geez, what do we do? And we either bury our head in the sand or we pick a political identity. But I think God invites us into something more. I think God invites us into this space where he says, learn my heart, learn my ways, learn who I am, understand my mercy, understand that I love justice, understand what compassion really means. Mm. And God invites us into this relationship with him that includes humanity. And God invites us into this relationship where we are not polarized, where we are not standing on one end of the spectrum screaming at each other, but where we are going, you know what? Jesus is the center of this beloved community and I will refuse to hate you. (laughs) Like I will Mm -hmm. refuse to let hatred dominate my life. And at the same time, I will 
along with God's help, hold people accountable to <sighs> what is wrong, to the wrongdoing and allow people to feel consequences that maybe they have not ever felt before because we have not held people accountable. And I, that's why I loved the Me Too movement. You know, a lot of Christians were very afraid to even say the words Me Too. I was like, I'm in on this because for years, you know, we have been yeah. shouting this from the rooftops, this pain and horror that goes all the way back to scripture. Like read the book of Genesis. It's scary in there. You know? yeah. <laughs> like, this has been happening to women for a long time. So I just think God has something to say about injustice. And there's over 300 scriptures where God talks about the poor and the oppressed mm. and the foreigner, and he speaks about injustice. So this is important to God. It's not even just like a, a side thought. It's like, no, the center of this thing is that we create righteous communities yeah. and that we create righteous connections and that all people are valued as made in my image. Right. And it really started to shift how I think, how I moved in the world, how I experienced faith. And I'm, I love this God of justice. He's oh. powerful and he's loving and he's merciful. And I want to be like him. <laughs> hey, freaking men. Again, I'm going to just say it over again, man. There's been so many times I'm like, got praise hands over here, y'all. I can just like throw up some praise hands emojis. Um, yeah. Yeah. There are... I go back so often. Again, I, I always look at things. I really do the best I can to look at life through the lens of scripture. And yeah. um, I was not always like that. So don't, Same. y'all listening, do not Same. think that this is like me. I'm just being like, look at how super holy I am. That is not <laughs> at all. Um, it, but it, it, that is what finally changed my life is when I mm -hmm. really spent time diving into the scriptures and being like, if I claim to follow Jesus, then I want to know him Come on. super well. Like yes. <laughs> if he created me, I want to yeah. know the guy who created me super well. And yeah. so that's why I went on a journey of, of reading the Bible cover to cover and, and have continued to do that. And I, Lord willing, that's I'll, I'll do it until the day I die. Cause it changed yes. my life. It changed yeah. my life when I actually sat down and took the time to read God's word, every word of it, not cherry pick parts of it, but put right. different pieces of it in context and it, it changed my life. And so I look at a lot of these issues around, around justice and, and I can't even begin to wrap my mind around people who don't see it that way. And I go, right. are we reading the same Bible? Right. Because the the super holy people come up to Jesus and they say, well, well all these commandments, which ones are the most important? So and, true. And what is Jesus's response? Is love God and love, love others. Neither. That's right. Period. Yes. <laughs> Period. Yes. Okay. <laughs> He like, I just, I love, there's like a meme that went around where it's like Jesus and somebody says that. And he's like, did I stutter? Like, did I stutter? Correct. I don't yes, think Jesus no, stuttered on this. He did no, not he stutter on this. It is yes. plain and simple. One of my, um, another thing that I've been trying to do this year is my word of the year for 2020 is imprint. Mm. And, um, and it, a lot of it stems from uh, Deuteronomy 11, 18 through 21, where it says, like, imprint these words of, my, uh, of mine on your hearts and minds. Bind them as a sign on your hands. Let them be a symbol on your forehead. Teach them to your children. Talking about them when you, when you sit in your house, when you walk along the road, when you lie yeah. down, when you get up, like all of that. That's, mm. So my, my, my thing this year has been 
to commit more scripture to memory. And one of my my memory verses was Isaiah one seventeen. And there's mm. a few, there's a, um, a couple translations, but one translation in particular I really loved was actually the CSB, the Christian Standard Bible Translation, because it says, um, "Learn to do what is good," and it says, "Pursue justice." And some translations say, um, "Oh gosh, what's the other translation?" Uh, oh, ta- um, seek justice, uh, defend or defend the oppressed. That's right. one translation, but the CSB translation is correct the oppressor. Love it. Woo! Which I love because <laughs> yes. I go, yes. That's it. Not just defending the oppressed, That's but it. correcting That's the it. oppressor. Come on. And that right there is, it could not be plainer to me. Yeah. How we have to have these hard conversations and we cannot ignore the job, the God of justice. We, it cannot be ignored. It cannot be ignored. And whether it is issues of racism, which is antithetical to the gospel, 100% opposite of, and people are like, Oh, you're just getting political. As my pastor says, he's like, I'm not getting political. I'm getting biblical. Come on. Like your pastor. Yes. Yeah. I know. Our pastor said that a couple weeks ago. I go, I was like, yeah, boy, say it. Let the people know, let them know. Say it louder for the people in the back. <laughs> Correct. Please. Um, yeah. And, and it is not, it's not political, it's biblical. Um, yeah. And so that's, you know, we have to have these hard conversations. We cannot ignore it because that's what we're called to. It's what yes, we're called correct. to do. Um, yes. And, and there's this, but we live in this digital age where you have keyboard warriors and you have social media just do you post the black square? Do you know, not post the black right. square on, on blackout day? Do you, do yep. you mute yourself? Do you not mute yourself? There's so many differing opinions and, and, and understanding um, that the point is, is to show up. That's it. And understand that you're going to do it wrong. You're going to say something wrong. You're yes. going to, you're going to mess up. Um, yes. You're going to do it imperfectly, but do it anyway. Yes. I'm with you. Right? We can't undo all of the years of the mistakes that we have made. We can't undo it all. And we're going to continue to make mistakes. And that's why people are so afraid. And I mean, I think like making this, I realize uh, y'all, for people listening, like I hope y'all are not offended by how the the overly simplistic analogy Mm -hmm. I'm going to make here. But I was talking with my daughter about about this. and, And I said, honey, you know how when you learned how to ride a bike, how the first time you got on that bike with those training wheels, you didn't even know how to move the, the, the pedals. Like you right. couldn't figure out how to move your feet in that direction. She's like, yeah. And I said, do you remember how, how you just had to kind of work through it and it was awkward and it, you fell down a couple times. You remember that? She said, yeah. And I said, and then you got, then you got pretty good at riding with your, with your training wheels. Eventually we had to, we took those training wheels off. Mm. And you know what you had to do is um, we you, we tried on the street and you fell down a lot. You got a lot of bumps and bruises. But you remember when you actually did it for the first time without training wheels? And I said, yeah. And she said, well, one of us stood behind you and, we, and you actually did it in the grass mm. where if you fell, there was a soft place to land. Yeah. So you good. weren't as scared. And eventually you got really, and now you race your brother around the neighborhood on your bike and you still fall down sometimes. And I said, that's what this is like. That's what this is like is we 
are going to not even know how to do our pedals at first, guys. We're not even going to know what to say, but we just have to try. Yeah. And we're going to get better. And when I say like finding a soft place to land is getting offline. Yes. And picking up your real life and yes. creating community with people who don't yes. look like you. Yes. And being willing to like, it's not that it doesn't hurt when you fall on the grass. Yes. But you're not going to like, you know, break your arm. Break a bone. You're right. not going to break a bone exactly. falling yes. on the grass. It's still going to hurt. Right. You might like scrape yourself on the bike or something, but you're not going to break yes. a bone on the grass. So yes. it, it's that it's creating real community and having hard conversations, allowing yourself to be corrected yes. when, when you do something That's wrong huge. And, and growing. Huge. Yes. Yeah. So anyway, so sorry, I, I'm clearly a little bit Spicy right about now. this. I'm spicy. into it. Well, listen, 2020 spicy. is the year of spice, okay? Spice. <laughs> <laughs> it's the only response to this godforsaken year is spice. Spicy. <laughs> spicy. Now, all that now, okay, this is completely off topic, guys. Oh my goodness. Y'all are catching me on a fun day. Uh, it makes me think of the SNL character, Stefan, when he's like, New York's hottest club is spicy. It's uh, my favorite. Oh, I need more Stefan in my life. I need more stuff on in my life. Okay. Oh, Ashley. Um, okay. So before I get to the get to know you round, um, I just, I, I would love for you to just kind of share, like seeing as how 2020 is just bananas. It's weird. Yeah. It's hard for a lot of people. People feel tired and emotionally spent. What is your prayer hmm. for for people of faith and people not of faith, um, mm -hmm. as we navigate, um, the rest of the year. And, and what is your prayer for you personally, mm. as you, as we navigate everything that is, is going to be, I mean, cause we've got an election year. Let's just say, I'm not saying I'm not, yeah. I'm not going there, but yep. we but just know, we, kn we know that there bad. are things that yeah. are going to just, there's going to be a lot of, there's going to be a lot of things. There is. Yeah. So how do so we, how do we navigate prayer, that? Yeah. I think my prayer is one in the same. Um, you know, the thing that keeps, uh, resounding in my heart and in my spirit is I just keep hearing he who has ears to hear, let him hear what the spirit mm. says. And I feel like this is a time for us to really lean into what the spirit says. There are so many distractions from social media to news channels. And we got to remember like, who's pastoring you? Is mm. it Jesus, the shepherd, or is it news? Is it social media? Is it a commentator? Is it a journalist? Is it a president? Mm. Is it a Senator? Is it a congressperson? Like who is really the loudest voice in your life? Who is forming your doctrinal beliefs? Who mm. is forming your convictions? And allow the Holy Spirit to speak to that. Like he who mm. has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says. Mm. And I think that that is really what I'm personally trying to do is do that hard work of God. What's biblical? What's cultural? What have I learned that I need to unlearn God? And love Jane Elliott, who's an activist, anti-racism, racism yes. activist. She says that anything you, you learn, you can unlearn. So yes. I'm like, Holy Spirit, teach us, shape us, mold us. Let us hear you. Let us truly be the people of God. And you know, I'm not worried about the gospel, even though I think Christians are in the public witness is making a mess, a mockery, but I'm not worried about it. You know, the Lord is good and he doesn't need me to defend his reputation. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, he is unchanged. That. He's God. Yes, he is. He's, yeah. he's, he's going to keep going. So God, change me, change us, mm. help us to be your people. Oh, Man, Ashley, I don't know. I don't know about you. I needed this conversation today, Same. and I'm I know so that thankful. when this airs, uh, <laughs> it's I'm going to need it again. Um, and I pray my my encouragement is for those of you listening. And I I am 
uh, I'm vocal about this on here, uh, is I am fully aware that I have a lot of people who listen who um, are not believers. And I just, my prayer is that you would be encouraged in some way yeah. Um, yeah. and and be willing to kind of lean into the uncomfortable, lean into the to the the hard parts because that is where change happens. Yeah, um, that right. is where we, that's where we grow and we learn. Yes. Um, and I just, oh man, so, 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 so good. Okay. Well, not that we have not had a blast. We're going to um, <laughs> ask just some, a couple of lighthearted, get to know you questions. Perfect. Um, yes. So uh, Ashley, are you ready for the get to know you round? Ready. I'm okay. Excited. Awesome. All right. If you were a professional athlete, you, I, you mentioned mm. that you're six one, so you're, mm-hmm. you're on the taller scale. So see, let's say yes. basketball. Um, what would <laughs> I realize I'm like making like the most generalization about 100%. tall people. Like, do you play basketball? <laughs> I'm really sorry to offend you. I hope I didn't. Completely talk. okay. You did it. So, um, what would your walk-up song be? What is the hype song oh, that is getting you ready? She's a brick. That would be my song. <laughs> Like just let it. it all hang out. That I sounds like, like me. And I like it. That is good. It's not what the one I would have guessed, but I like it. I'm a fan. And you had there was no hesitation there. It's not. I know. You knew. You're like, oh, I know. I heard it in my head. Yeah. Boom. Um, okay. If you were transported 400 mm-hmm. years into the past Ooh, with no clothes, except for like I guess the clothes on your back. Anything mm-hmm. else? How would you prove you're from the future? Wow. I would tell them about airplanes. Ooh, I like it. <laughs> There's these big, it looks like a Tylenol and uh, <laughs> looks like a t- planes. Uh, that would do it. Yes. I like it. I like it. And um, I would uh, probably be too outspoken for women 400 years ago. So someone <laughs> would stone me or kill me. It would be pretty obvious. <laughs> Fantastic. Fantastic. Okay. In the future, in 40 years, Mm. what do you think people are going to be nostalgic for? Oh, wow. This is a great question that, you know what? I kind of wonder if we're returning to more like I don't want us to return to tribalism, but I do think we're, we're, we're going to scale smaller because of the digital age. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if people will have a longing for this sort of like global connection. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that, like, I think we'll huddle down in our communal corners because it will be necessary for, for life moving forward. And I don't mean polarized tribes, hear me, but I, I think that I there's going to be this like awakening of small community again. And I think there will come a hunger like, oh my gosh, remember when we were so connected globally? And when we had all these things and we would go all these places, I think that we're going to be hungry and nostalgic mm. for that. Interesting. <laughs> I like that. That's a, that's a really interesting thought. Um, okay. Do you have any guilty pleasures? Oh, yes. You know, I, I like reality TV, guys. I mean, it just <laughs> is what it is. And I just watched a whole season of Selling Sunset. I mean, who does that with their life? So that, Selling Sunset. It was amazing. It was full throttle trash, and I enjoyed it. Love it. <laughs> Fantastic. I am I unashamedly admit that I am a bachelor, bachelorette watcher. Yeah, um, I have been from the beginning. The only season I did not watch was Colton's. 
because I didn't like him. And then I didn't really watch Peter's, which was actually like uh, rare for me. But other than that, I have been like, I know guys, I, I am not, I, feel you. I am, you turn it off sometimes. I am, I'm a sinner saved by grace guys. I know, <laughs> I know, I know, I know I shouldn't watch it, but I, it's, uh, guys, it's, I'm working Necessary. on it. I'm a work in progress. I'm working on <laughs> right. progress. That's right. Um, fantastic. Okay. And this is my last question. And that is the question I ask all my guests. And that is Ashley, what does it mean to you to run a business with purpose? Oh, you know what? It means cultivating a life that I actually want Mm. and being able to contribute to others' lives that via communication or resources or finances, like that's really important to me. So building a life that I want and love and being able to contribute to the larger good is mm. important to me. Mm, that's good. <laughs> that's good. Ashley, it has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for coming on the show. Thank you so much for having me. I loved every second. Okay, I would love to know what you loved about this episode with Ashley or maybe something that you learned. And if you do, let me know on social media. You can find me at Still Being Molly or at Business With Purpose Podcast on Instagram or Facebook. And don't forget that hashtag Business With Purpose Podcast. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. If you are a first-time listener of the show, welcome. Be sure to visit the archives for past shows featuring incredible entrepreneurs and business owners who are quite literally changing the world with their businesses. And if you are a regular listener of the show, thank you for tuning in week in and week out and thank you for your support. Head on over to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, Radio Public, or basically wherever you listen to podcasts and click that subscribe or follow button. Clicking that button helps to make sure you never miss a new episode of the show. And while you're there, would you mind taking a moment to leave a review? Leaving a review of the show actually does help me to know what you're liking and how the show is personally impacting you. This show is produced by Third Wheel Media. Thank you so much for listening and go do something good with purpose, on purpose.